Well, man, it's great to be here with you, great to be worshiping with you, and uh, we're in a series called The God of My Today, The God of My Today, and we're walking through um, the story of Daniel, the first six chapters, Daniel 1 through 6, and we're just saying, Lord, reveal to us who you are and how you would have us to respond to you, who you are and how we should respond to you. That's our whole goal as we're walking through this, and we've seen the greatness of our God and the sacrifice of our God and the our call to action accordingly, and, and uh, man, just a powerful walk through this last song here as we hear about the wealth of the cross, and last week we um, just took some time to bring it down a notch and make sure we get right before our Lord, and you know, throughout the day we had 13 people accept Christ as Savior, so praise God for that, right? Amen. And uh, God doing a work in here, man. And it's uh, one heart at a time. He might be calling you to Christ for the very first time. And uh, he might be calling you to take that very first big step where you're beginning to work on things with him and hear from him. He might be calling you on a 30 to 50 year journey where he's just refreshing it along the way. And, And wherever you're at, man, hear me. Our God is right here with us. He is the God of our today. And all of God's people said... Now, man, that means whatever you're going through, hear me, God is right here with you. And we need to hear of that, and we need to know of that. We need to know of his greatness. We need to know of his justice. We need to know that God's got a plan. And uh, so today we're looking at God is just, so I will obey. God is, God is just, so I will obey. And uh, turn with me, if you will, to Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1. God is just, so I will obey. Daniel 5, we're going to walk through the chapter 5 today. And uh, so let's just dive in our first point of action. Uh, Humbly serve and let God lift you up in his timing. Humbly serve and let God lift you up in his timing. And our job is to put ourselves underneath our king and serve him with all we've got. God will take care of the rest. All right? And so let's just dive in and see how this unfolds here. It starts out, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. And uh, now if you're like, I don't know that name. Yeah, that's a new name coming on the scene here. And and so it's King Nebuchadnezzar. He actually had uh, kids and then grandkids. And and so this is uh, some of his offspring, King Belshazzar, and he's called son. It really actually, in the original, probably best to understand it as offspring. And uh, this is a grandson of his, all right? And so we've been talking about King Nebuchadnezzar in chapters one through four. Now we're up to King Belshazzar, his grandson, okay? So still the king of Babylon. Um, he's walking things through. It's been some 50 years uh, since the beginning, since we've heard some things come uh, to fruition. Uh, with Daniel, maybe even a little bit more. And uh, it says, King Belshazzar, he made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. And I'm ready to say that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, man. It's a lot of leadership that he pulled together. And he's like, hey, let's do something here. Let's do a little bit bit of celebrating about uh, what we have going on in this place. And there's something we're going to find out at the end of this chapter, but you need to know that the Medes and the Persians, that's another nation that was rising up. If you remember back to Daniel chapter 2, the statue and the head of gold and then the chest of silver. 
The chest of silver is the Medes and Persians. Well, they're on the brink of coming into power. In fact, they're just outside of his kingdom right now. As he's beginning to set up this party, the Medes and the Persians are right outside the gates. And we'll see that come to fruition at the end of this chapter. It says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. He's like, hey, I remember a story about some really, really cool glasses and cups that we could drink from that we took from Judah years and years ago. Let's go get those and drink from them. And uh, everybody say, that's a really bad idea. Dude, total disrespect for who God is and what's going on. And uh, decided, you know what, I'm going to make it all about me. And uh, so let's just go ahead and get those for all of us. This wine tastes pretty good. We'll celebrate that way. Then they brought the golden vessels that he had taken out of the temple the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And uh, everybody just say, those are not real gods. And uh, we need to understand that all too often in our life, we begin to value things and go after things that aren't even very valuable. And uh, Belshazzar... He's beginning to worship these little g gods. And uh, no power, no knowledge, no authority. We'll see that come out at the end of the chapter as well. And uh, the gods who are in charge of gold and silver. And uh, it's like he's making up a child's story as he's walking through his life. And he just wants to start making everything a god. And uh, begins to talk as of such. And uh, he's like, hey, why not? And uh, let's praise them. And it's getting nothing done. This is bogus worship and a full-out idolatry, all right? It says, immediately. And uh, how fast? Man, God does not toy around. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And uh, that's a little creepy, huh? And uh, you're like, all right, let's bring it. Let's have a giant party. Bring it on in. Roll out those awesome chalices and let's start drinking this great wine. And this giant hand appears and starts writing on the wall. And uh, it says here that it wasn't just seen by one. There was actually multiple that could see it, but definitely the king could see it. So it says immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. It says... The hand as it wrote, the king saw the hand as it wrote. And uh, this is a huge deal. He's watching each letter get written out by the fingers. He's watching this hand write it out. He can't see the rest of an arm or a body. This is actually God saying, hey, I got a message for you. You know, that's one way to get your attention, right? And uh, there's times where you're looking for direction, and it'd be, wouldn't it be nice if God like wrote on the wall for you? And they just told you what to do. You're like, I'm really not sure which way I should head. And he's like, here's where you should head. You're like, thank you, God. That would be great, right? And, uh, and in this case, um, he wasn't necessarily asking God for direction, but God was going to share very clearly 
what needed to be understood and what needed to happen. Notice it says, the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. I love that sentence. And uh, there's this guy who's like, I am awesome. I am unbelievable. And, uh, and all it took was one little hand writing on a wall, and he's like, never mind. Right? Now he's shaking. He doesn't understand what's going on. Clearly something bigger than him, at least other than him. And uh, he's alarmed. His limbs give way. He's weak in the hands and joints. His knees are knocking together. The king's color changed. He turned sheet white, right? He is shocked and scared and uh, trying to figure it out. The king called loudly. And uh, how did the king call? Man, he's nervous as all get out. And he's like, somebody get in here, right? And uh, king called loudly to bring in, and uh, here we go again, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, because they've been really a lot of help so far, really, you know. And uh, I don't know. And so he calls them, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's like, anybody step up, man. I've got some major reward for you. Then all the king's wise men came in. They're like, oh, that plan sounds awesome. I would love to be number three. Let's give it a shot. And they walk in. But they could not read the writing or make known the king's interpretation. Shocker, right? And when God's got a message, he's like, just so you know, I'm not going to go through these guys who choose to go to the dark forces to get their information. I'm just not going to reveal through them. And uh, God's got a plan. Everybody say, God's got a plan. Man, we better get that if we're reading through Daniel. There's one thing we better grasp. God's got a plan. And uh, all the king's wise men came in. They could not read the writing nor make an interpretation. It says, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Now the whole scene, there's a thousand people looking on and they're in awe of what's going on. They've watched this king collapse. They've watched him become weak right before him. Nobody can give an answer. What is going on? What does all this mean? And they're not sure. It says the queen, that would be Belshazzar's wife, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came in to the banqueting hall. And just so you know, this would be very atypical. Okay, it'd be very atypical for uh, the wife, the queen, to walk in in the midst of what was going on here. But She heard there was a lot going on. She heard her husband had changed colors right before him. She heard that his knees were knocking and that people were freaking out. Queen comes to the rescue. Because of the word of the king and the lords came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Please note the respect being showed as she walked in uninvited. O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. There is a man, and we better hear the hope in those few words. There is a man. There is someone who can help you. Who is this guy? 
well, in whom the spirit of the holy gods is residing. The spirit of the holy gods. Man, God himself works through this guy. And we've heard this phrase before, the spirit of the holy gods. This was a phrase of Nebuchadnezzar. It's been passed down through the generations. She has now picked it up. It's been dozens and dozens of years. But that story has been told. And she's got it locked in. She knows what's going on. And so she's calling out about Daniel. It says, in the days of your father... Light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. And uh, just note very close to the king's name. Right? And he's like, just so you know, or she's saying, just so you know, his name, very close to your name, and amazing things have been done through him. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Man, she's got a lot of hope. And I'm just telling you, this guy, he can help you out. And Belshazzar, note, he's not really very familiar with this Daniel. She's got to walk through the whole story. She's like, remember, Nebuchadnezzar, and he had a plan to invite, and Daniel did some things, and there was stuff said, and she's got to say it all. She didn't have to be like, dude, why don't you call Daniel? Right? Just get down to it. And uh, couldn't say that. Why? Because Belshazzar has relegated Daniel to a corner. And uh, it's probably been some 20 years that has gone by since Daniel has been in Daniel chapter 4. 20 to 30 years passed by. And uh, between Daniel chapter 4, the end, and Daniel chapter 5, the beginning. And everybody say that's a long time. And you got to remember, Daniel, he was taken as a slave, pulled out of Judah and brought over to Babylon. God has raised him up to number two in the nation. He is serving under Nebuchadnezzar. Things are going good. He has revealed out dreams and visions. He has been raised up even higher yet. There is massive honor being given. He is able to make huge impact. And then Nebuchadnezzar passes away. And Daniel is drifted off into history as a story for 20 plus years. We know very little that has occurred between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. And this is what comes up next. Daniel, super patient as this 20 to 30 years goes by, no story really recorded. He's remembered by some, not by the king. And uh, she has to reveal to him all that's going on. And I'm just telling you, for Daniel to continue to serve his God, it took humility. It took faith and trust. God's got a plan. And I'm not stepping out on God I'm going to hang in here, whatever he has in store. And so Daniel just continued to faithfully serve, and God's plan came to fruition 25 to 30 years later. And we're going to find that actually some of the later chapters, Daniel 7 through 12, some of those were going on during this time period. And uh, some of those were being revealed in this downtime. So while Daniel isn't being used by God and the king, Daniel is having things revealed to him. 
And it's amazing the walk that Daniel's been on as he stays faithful in the midst. And uh, humility, man, it's huge. And how often are you willing to be humble while they won't recognize who you are and what you're doing or that it's about you at all? And that can be a tough walk and a sacrificial walk at that. And uh, man, being able to sacrifice is a big deal. And it needs to be a large part of what we're about. And uh, I got to tell you, I had an illustration set for this and I was all ready to go on it. Um, But uh, I'm changing the illustration here because uh, I ended up going out hunting this weekend uh, for just a little bit, got out in the afternoon. And uh, I'd gotten a call from my dad and I wasn't going to go out. And uh, he called me up and he's like, hey, um, I'm leaving the farm. And uh, if you want, I'll come down around your place and stop off. And then if you want to go out hunting, I'll go out with you. And uh, I'm like, well, that's cool. I mean, I wasn't really planning on it, but maybe. I said, let me get back to you. And that was Thursday night. And uh, I got back to him Friday morning. I said, hey, if you're still open, I am planning on going out, whatever you want to do. And he's like, yeah, I'll be there. And so we set up plans. We ended up meeting out at the farm where I hunt. And uh, we ended up going out there in the later afternoon and got to hunt that afternoon and evening. I said, hey, Dad, I got permission. Feel free to take your bow out with. And uh, there are some monster deer on this property. Take, so take your bow out with. And he's like, you know, that's not why I came. And uh, I'm okay with that. I'll just leave the bow. He picked up his uh, climbing stand. There's just for those of you who don't hunt, it's a stand you carry with you and you can climb a tree right there with you, all right? So he brings it out with. I pick out a stand. I get up in it and he climbs a tree nearby just within 20 yards or so. And we end up enjoying the afternoon together there. It's just a nice crisp afternoon and uh, ended up having like six different deer come underneath and and uh, I had a nice little buck come underneath. I did not shoot. Um, there are some monsters in there. I was waiting for the monster that day and uh, didn't come in. But that little buck went right underneath my dad's stand and stopped and was just sitting right underneath his stand. My dad's like, I could have spit on it. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, or shot it if you had a bow. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't have shot. I'm glad I didn't have it. And and, uh, you know, afterwards, as we just processed through the turkeys we saw and the deer we saw and the deer that came under and the deer that sat under him and the, the grunting that we were doing to call it in, it was just a blast of a time talking as we're walking out. Um, I'm just telling you what, that was super sacrificial on my dad's part and uh, super humble on his part. He could have gone out hunting. In fact, he could have brought a bow in here and made it about his hunt. Uh, he may have gotten a deer off of it if he chose, and that was not his goal. He just came in to be with me, came in to support and help me get out and uh, said, hey, if you get a big one, it'd be pretty rough to drag it out yourself. I'll be there with you. And uh, just a sacrificial moment and a time together. I texted him the next day and I just said, hey, thanks for coming. It was great to have you out and it was great to sit with you out there and talk afterwards. And we did dinner afterwards and, and uh, he texted back, yeah, it was great to be there. Super great afternoon just being with you. And uh, I'm just telling you something. Humble, sacrificial may not benefit you directly, but it'll benefit the one you're with. Are you willing to be that guy? Are you willing to be that girl? Setting your stuff down and making it about the person next to you. And that's what it's all about, man. And uh, Daniel, he grasped what it meant to humbly serve. And let God lift you up in due time. Let him have the plan for you, whatever it is, all right? And uh, here's a quote. I just wrote this down. Humility, it is not thinking the least of yourself. It is making the most of others. It is not thinking the least of yourself. It is making the most of others. Man, humility is not beating yourself up. 
Everybody say it's not that. That's not humility, man. Humility is making the most of others. Being able to do that in whatever way, shape, and form you can. Philippians 2, 3 says, in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Man, are you willing to lay it on the line for 20 to 30 years without recognition? Because God's got a plan. I'll humbly serve and it's not going to be about me. Simple challenge. How do you respond when you're overlooked? How do you respond when you're laying it on the line and they walked past you and they gave it to somebody else? Whatever it is. And get ready. That's our Lord Jesus Christ as he laid it on the line for us and went to the cross and rose again and wasn't honored in it at all in that moment. Man, he will be exalted. Hear me. Our Christ will be lifted up. And I love Philippians 2 and the promise of his being raised up in the end and him being glorified. There will be much made of our king. And all of God's people said, we will make much of his name. But man, humble is definitely what our God is all about. How about you? Pride is what Satan's about. Set it down. Humble's what our king's about. That's number one. Number two, serve not for personal gain, but for the glory of God. Serve not for personal gain, but for the glory of God. And uh, it says here, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel. Have you ever been that guy? They're like, oh, are you that guy? You know, when you use the word that, it kind of pushes you far away, doesn't it? Did you know that? This is something present, close to you. That is something far away from you. You are that Daniel. He's like, you're the guy we relegated to the corner that God did something with a long time ago. And I've heard stories about you through my father's father and all that stuff. And uh, you're that guy, right? And... Uh, how do you even answer that, right? You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you. Like about five seconds ago, for one, right? When the queen shared it, I have heard of you, that the spirit of God's is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Well, at least he can quote what he was told, right? We're seeing that from what the queen said. Now, the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. doesn't say this, but I'm pretty sure between those two verses it says, and Daniel rolled his eyes. <laughs> right? Oh, brother. Here we go again. Right? And, uh, but I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's like, listen, if you can do these things, man, riches and wealth and power, and you will be on top. And Daniel's like, Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing. Okay. And uh, we'll get to that in the next section as well, but I wanted to make sure you heard Daniel's answer. He's like, eh, whatever. I mean, you kind of have to remember he was in his teens when he came in the early 600s, and now it's about 539 B.C. So Daniel's probably running somewhere around 80 years old. And he's like, I'm going to make you wealthy. 
And he's like, do you see me? I am 80 years old. That is the last. Keep your money. Keep your money. Keep your power. Not the thing I really care about. But I'll read it for you. I'll be faithful and I'll serve you in the midst. And I love the phrase, nevertheless. It's really a word that we've dropped from our culture, isn't it? I love the word, though. It really probably should be done. We use the word but a lot, right? And it's contradictory. This is actually a contradiction as well, right? It's like, yeah, you can keep your stuff, right? But the word but just leaves it all negative. Nevertheless, says I'm still in with you. Keep your properties. That's a big deal, man. Daniel's like, look, I'm here to serve, and I'm not here to serve for that. I'm here to serve for the glory of the God that I know. And yeah, I can give you your interpretation, and I'll make sure I give that. And in humility, without any passion for power, and without any desire to get his name up in lights, I'll take this position. And um, all right. So I was thinking this week, with all that we have going on this past week, kind of a stunning week, really, an earth-shattering week in many ways for a lot of what's gone on in America. And with the vote that's taken place, uh, these are words that I just got done saying that really don't resonate at all with it. Very humble, really not desiring any power at all, not trying to get their name up in lights at all, right? This doesn't come close to describing what we had taking place this week and the war that went on in the election and the trying to call the other person out and knock them down and trying to get the election through. And we now do have a president-elect in the moment. It stands as Donald Trump, and he is the president-elect. And uh, we'll talk more about that in the third point. I just want to say this. God's moving in this world, and we said this several weeks ago, right? Man, whatever happens... God has a plan. Everybody say it with me. God has a plan. And uh, man, we just let this thing unfold. God's doing something. Uh, Right now there is unrest all over the place. Uh, I know I stayed up on Tuesday night till about 2.30, quarter to 3, watching what was happening. Uh, I wanted to see if he was actually going to be able to give an acceptance speech, if she was going to call and concede, or if it was going to go to the next day. And uh, quite frankly, I was getting a little nervous that maybe it was going to turn into a big thing. And this was going to really drag out. And then she ended up calling and conceding. Hillary Clinton did it about uh, 1.45. And by 2.15, he came out and gave a speech. And I'll be honest, man. I'm sitting there watching the speech. If he had spoken that way for the last year, there might be a lot more people that would actually like and want to follow him. It was very respectful, very team-oriented, very, really, quite frankly, very humble and honoring of all those around him. And, and it was a great moment. Now, it was 2.15, and so maybe he was exhausted. I don't know, right? <laughs> but he brought it, and, and he did a nice job bringing it. And uh, uh, it was probably one of the most dignified speeches I've heard him give, quite frankly. And... Uh, uh, happy for him that at least in that moment he saw the necessity of doing that and uh, just praying to God that he does see that on every front now and can really start to go after that. Um, there is so much stir this week. I don't know if you're keeping up with it, but we have had uh, protests all over the nation. That night there were fires being lit all over Oakland and cars being lit on fire and stores being broken into and massive uprising going. I don't even understand that thought. 
Like, I'm mad at the decision, so let me go hurt a friend of mine. I don't even get what's going on in it. I'm not trying to speak to that at all other than to just say, what? Okay, I'm done talking on that. Let's move on. And uh, the selfish attack and the hatred that was modeled in this year as those two candidates went after each other began to be a lead for this country that said, hate and hate big. Attack and attack huge. And the nation learned. And now, as the election is done and there is names in place and these two have stepped up and one is conceded and one is taking over and they're beginning to call out team, the rest of the nation is like, I'm still over on hatred corner. And now we're trying to figure it out. Here's my request as a church. Ready? Our job. Humble, loving service of our God. Where we make much of our king and we do not go after another person. Where we follow what God has to say and we let him lead. And all of God's people said, one more time. And all of God's people said, Amen. let's go after this. We are called to humble service where we are not in it for what we get. We are in it for God's glory. May he be made much of. And uh, man, it is not about personal gain. And uh, president-elect may or may not understand that but we do, and we have a job accordingly. May we live our lives in a way where God is made much of, in your workplace, in your home, in your family, as you speak with friends, as this topic comes up, it will come up. Over and over and over it will come up. And as it comes up, for you to be able to speak to, I am humbly serving my God in a nation he is leading. God sets up and deposes rulers. And I'm trusting in my king. I don't know what he's got in store, but he's got it in store. And all of God's people said. Amen. And that's where we need to go. Humble. Simple question. What motivates you? What are your dreams? What do you long to be rewarded for? Are you willing for it to be all the glory of God? Okay. Point number one, humble service. Point number two, not for my profit, but for God's glory. Point number three, stay close to your God and lovingly say what is true in order to please your God, not the people around you. Stay close to your God and lovingly say what is true. Please note the words lovingly and true. And uh, usually we're either an expert on the gentle tender or we're an expert on the true. And if you're the kind who says truth, but it bruises and wounds, be careful. Make sure lovingly saying what's true is combined together. Loving and truth. Those two are our Lord Jesus Christ embodied, all right? And uh, make sure you're ready to make it much about your God in that piece. Here we go, starting in verse 17 now again. He says, nevertheless, I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. All right. I will let you know what God Almighty is sharing with you through the giant magic hand that has just written on the wall and creeped you out, right? 
O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Can you imagine being Belshazzar right now? And you're like, to the point, please. Interpret the wall, right? I know about my lineage. And uh, just so you know, Daniel's like, yeah, well, what you need to hear about what the wall says means you need to remember history. And uh, you're a little soft on your history, so let me help you out here. And he starts walking it through. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was great. He was a king who had greatness and glory and majesty. Remember in the statue, it was the gold head. That's King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, right? And so he's saying, God's got a plan and God's poured it out on Nebuchadnezzar. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. You better understand that there were times where he was ruthless. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down. Um, He's talking to a king right now. And he's like, just so you remember your lineage, when that king got all arrogant and proud, he was brought to his knees, down. And uh, he was brought down from his kingly throne And his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind. And his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Now for those of you who have been around, you recognize this story. We went through this in Daniel chapter 4. It was the prior chapter. And King Nebuchadnezzar gets all high and mighty on himself. And he's like, do you see my great kingdom? That I have built. And it says immediately. Get used to that word in Daniel. God responds when he sees the problem. And immediately he ends up being pushed out into the wilderness. It says for seven periods of time. Probably seven years. Most believe it's seven years. And for seven periods of time he was in the wilderness. He had the wet of the dew on him every morning. Can you imagine like this morning? Did you wake up this morning and see the frost on the grass this morning? as it dipped below 32 now for the first time. And all the deer hunters say amen. <laughs> and uh, that'll be good. And, uh, but man, can you imagine being out in that dew and the frost? And he was driven out there to eat grass for a long period of time. How long? It says until. Everybody say until. Until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and he sets over it whom he Will. Man, if you want a kill verse for election week, this is the verse, right? And uh, man, it's a quote that comes from Daniel chapter 4, and it makes super clear who God is. He's like, you need to grasp that until Nebuchadnezzar knew the most high God rules the kingdom of man and sets over it whom he will, until he grasped that, it was not done. He was humbled For that long a time, until he finally grasped it. And he says, and you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. Everybody say, that's a bad plan. 
please hear me, this is a really important sentence and it's easy to miss in 30 verses of narrative. But Belshazzar was given every fair warning. And uh, you knew this, and yet you did not humble yourself. Nebuchadnezzar dealt proudly with himself, and it was the end until. And you have done the same. You did not learn, and your pride is your undoing, and humility is where you needed to be. There is a God who rules this world, and it is not you. And those are some hard words coming from a prophet, right? As he's delivering it up. He says, in the vessels of his house, please hear that pronoun, and the vessels of his house, you know, the one in charge of the universe, the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine with them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see hear or know. I love that little ad. Uh, back in the beginning of the chapter, it says that they praised the gods of wood, iron, stone, all of that. Here it says, which do not see, hear, or know. They are not gods. You're toying with yourself. But the God in whose hand is your breath. Man, if you can't hear the heavy words in this, we're missing something big. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. You breathe your next breath because of him. Your kingdom is because of him. Your rule is because of him. Your ways are because of him. What he allows is him allowing, not you doing. Know this. You have toyed with the most high God. There is none greater than him, and you are clearly under him. And this is a problem. Here endeth the lesson, right? Now the history lesson has stopped. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parasin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Yow. These are firm words coming out to a king. Daniel rightly needs to expect he very well may die. He is telling a king, your rule is done and I stand against you and there's someone bigger than you. You better know this. And Daniel goes on sharing truth and putting God rightly in his place as top. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Your kingdom is done. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You have been weighed and found wanting. And uh, Dude, I'm just telling you, God is measuring you against his balance of justice, and it's not looking good for you. You have come up short. Mene, your kingdom is done. Tekel, your balanced judgment weighed and found short. Peres, your kingdom is divided 
and given to the Medes and Persians. Can you see in the word peres, Persian? Can you see that? In the original language, it was like, just so you know, here's the ones that are going to be taking over from you. Your kingdom is done. You have been found wanting. Your arrogance is now over. You have toyed with me. It will now be handed to the Persians. That was what the writing on the wall was saying. Man, we believe that God is love, and he is. Scripture is super clear. God is love. And, uh, but God is also holiness and righteousness and justice. God gives us our breath we breathe. God is in charge of this universe. We come before him. And all of God's people said, and he is the king. Then Belshazzar gave the command. And Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Remember, Daniel was like, I don't want it. You can keep it. And that's not what it's about. And the king is now like, you're losing everything. He goes, well, I guess I'll at least honor you and make good on that word. And he gives it to him. And he pours all this stuff onto Daniel, which quite frankly, Daniel did not want. And in fact, really has a very short season because the next verse. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. That very night. Um, what can we take from this? Well, one thing is if you ever have a hand right on your wall, mene, mene, tekel, parson, man, it's a bad day for you. Right? And, uh, and uh, man, God is in charge, and when God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And uh, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And, uh, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom. Please note it says received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The Medes and the Persians were a partnered kingdom. And Cyrus, he is the king of the Persians. He dominated all over the place. And in this area, they busted into the kingdom and took over that night. And after he took over, he put Darius the Mede in charge. And Cyrus, the king of Persia, left. Persia and Media working together as two. And that's going to be really important as we go into Daniel 7 through 12, which we're going to do as a study next year in the winter spring. But it is a paired kingdom the Medes and the Persians. Remember, there was the kingdom of gold and then the kingdom of silver that was going to come next, the Medes and the Persians. And here it is, on their doorstep, in their lifetime, got to see that part come true. Some 70 years later, 65 years later, the second part of the statue has now been revealed. The silver chest. The Medes and the Persians are taking over. Darius the Mede is now in charge. Belshazzar is done. Babylon is done. He was found wanting. Why? Because he was proud. Period. Man, we toy with pride like it is just the best thing going. Know this. It is super, super costly. Set down your pride. It is all about humility. That is the word of our king. Jesus Christ could have been the most proud being ever. He could have entered this world and said, man, you don't know anything like me. Let me show you my greatness. And, but he came in humble. 
he clothed himself with mankind and walked among us and paid for us. Praise be to God. Our king is humble. May we follow his lead. And all of God's people said, all right. I just want to do this one last thing here. Talk a little bit about, so how do I handle this election in the midst? All right? And uh, here's a few things I just want to put down about pride and humility. So first, personally. Dude, go after humility with all you've got. If you've ever needed a model of what pride can look like in its sickness and twistedness and how destructive it can be, just look at the election and all that came down in it, okay? If you need an example of how bad it can be, there you go, all right? And so done with pride, on with humility. And uh, that's personally. Now nationally, some things we can do now that we have a president-elect and all that's going on. Number one. Pray. Pray that President-elect Donald Trump has a Nebuchadnezzar experience, not a Belshazzar experience. Let that settle. Nebuchadnezzar saw the pride, ended up setting it down, recognizing the Most High God and coming to grips with him. And in the final years of his reign, he was able to worship God and honor and praise him. May there be a massive Nebuchadnezzar experience. Not a Belshazzar one. Defiant, rebellious, will not bend. And it's taken from you in the end. Uh, Lord, may you please give him a Nebuchadnezzar experience. Number two, pray that he learned to set aside his pride. Lord, get a hold of his heart. Those really are kind of one and the same, but I thought I'd just say it more clearly. Pray that he's able to set aside his pride. May God get a hold of his heart. Number three, Pray passionately and expectantly for God's sovereign hand. Passionately and expectantly for God's sovereign hand. Here's the beautiful thing about that. God is sovereign. He will lead. He does rule this universe. So when you pray, Lord, please rule this universe, he's like, gotcha, right? Always good to be praying prayers where the answer is a resounding yes, right? And so be praying, Lord, I'm good with you leading. You are sovereign and I'm trusting in you. Rule and lead. uh, Number four, take your stand for your God, Jesus Christ, period. And you take your stand for Jesus Christ and you stand with him with all you've got. Who knows where things are going? Know this. We are called to be a testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the epitome of humility and we will stand by his side. And all of God's people said, all right. Do not get caught up in the hate-mongering. Do not, do not, do not. No matter where you stand on positions, no matter where you stand on your who you hoped was voted in, no hate-mongering. Set it down. That is from the pit of hell. Do not get caught up in the hate-mongering. And then the last one. This one dumbfounded me. Down with this statement. He is not my president. Down with that statement. He is not my president. That is a joke, all right? There is a structure we have in place. God has worked in the midst of this structure and God is doing something. Be super careful when you start saying, God's moving and I'm moving against it. Dude, that is not a good plan. And uh, Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God And those that exist have been instituted by God.
Let that settle. Yes, there are human movements going on. Yes, there are things that take place. Here's not what it says. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by some crazy electoral college plan that is stupid wrong and should be changed. That's not what it says. But that's where everybody's going now. And be super careful that, yes, in the midst of mankind voting in whatever structure we may have, God sets up and deposes kings. And all of God's people said, and uh, he is not my president. Dude, be careful. That is not a biblical statement. God has appointed this one in this time. For what? I don't know. What's it going to be like? I don't know. In what way should we pray that God get a hold of his heart, that this nation stand for Christ, and that me personally, no matter which way this thing goes, my God is shown off. And all of God's people said, amen. 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 Humble. We will walk humbly. We will not demand that it be all about us being shown off. It is about our God and his glory. And we will in the end trust our king with all we've got. That's the plan. Let's pray.